Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I think a lot of these characters that are fun to watch and you're kind of, you know, guiltily involved in enjoying their dastardly ways, if they then try and ask you to care about them, you sort of lose it. You get all into sort of trouble because the whole idea of a film like this is that you don't have to care, <laughs> you know, ironically. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Push the Envelope. I'm the AV Club's editor-in-chief, Patrick Gomez, and this week we'll be hearing from Golden Globe-nominated actress Rosamund Pike of I Care A Lot and Golden Globe and SAG-nominated actor Daniel Kaluuya of Judas and the Messiah. But first, you know, it's been long delayed because of this damn pandemic, uh, but we are finally heading into the thick of awards season, which kicked off into high gear last week with the Golden Globe nominations first, and then a day later, the SAG nominations. And to kind of decompress after all of that craziness is our senior writer, Katie Reif. Katie, thanks so much Hello. for joining us. Yes, How's it going? Back again. How, back again. How's it going? Are you uh, are you recovered from the whirlwind of those two nominations back to back? Well, I mean, they're just going to keep coming. So it was really more like, you know, when you're it's like when you're running and you run really, really fast for 30 seconds and then you walk for 30 seconds and then you run really, really <laughs> fast. We're doing the walking part right now. <laughs> yes. We're just gearing all back up. It's been a while since mm-hmm. we've had to stretch these muscles. Uh, you know, obviously, this is normally a conversation we're having in early to mid-December. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, with everything pushed back, we will have the Globes the final week of February. Uh, so we just got those nominations just last Wednesday. Uh, it's it's yeah. kind of been nice to, to have the holidays without the stress of knowing we're coming right back for the Globes. But it's weird for it to be this late in the year and us just now talking about all this. Well, totally. I mean, you said you're recovering from, you know, having all this at once. But like, normally... It really, truly does kind of knock you over because, like you said, this is more spread out than usual. Yeah. And and we don't have the holidays uh, to contend with, as well as totally. uh, AV Club's year-end coverage. So I, I definitely will take it. But it's still it was mm-hmm. it was a little shock to the system because we hadn't had it in so long that all of a sudden it was two one right after the other. Totally. Um, but I'll but I'll take it. Uh, you know, I thought before we dive into the similarities or differences, we could talk a little bit about just our personal thoughts on the Globes versus the SAG Awards. As much as the Golden Globes are a good time, you know, everyone loves to see a a good drunken uh, mm-hmm. celebrity, uh, you know, because they are able to drink through the ceremony, which is rare compared to some of the others. Uh, and the hosts are, are usually pretty fantastic. I'm very excited for Tina Fey and Amy Poehler this year. But other than that, the Globes can be a little bit of a running joke in the entertainment journalism world. Because it is a very small pool of uh, international journalists who make these decisions and make these nominations be what they are, which can be a little puzzling sometimes. Uh, you know, Absolutely. What are, what, are, what are your feelings uh, about the way that the HFPA, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, comes together for these nominations? Well, it's funny you mention this because I was joking about this, you know, 
when the nominations came out with A.A. Dowd and he was saying, you know, I feel like every year we all have this moment where we just reflect as to why we let these like few dozen people have so much power <laughs> when no one's even really sure who they are. Like uh, Hollywood Foreign Press, I think it's like TV journalists from uh, various countries. Uh, I, but, you know, it's it's certainly no one who would be a household name even to like a critic in the U.S. It's a relatively uh, obscure group of voters. And yeah, I really do think that a big part of the appeal is because these are like the loose, loose and fun awards shows. That's one of the reasons why it became a big deal. And the other one is, it's just like serendipitous timing coming right before the Oscars. Um, Patrick, do you think that people are going to be a little bit loose and drinking uh, in a virtual ceremony? Well, I think you're going to get one or the other. You're either going to get people really enjoying the fact that they're at home and don't even have to get in an Uber or a limo to go to and from the ceremony, or you're not going to get it at all because people are going to feel the need to be on their best behavior in case their Wi-Fi goes out and they have to troubleshoot. Um, so, <laughs> so we'll see what we won't get, which is usually a really fun thing about the Glows. Because they are set up as though it's a banquet kind of thing, you do have these tables that are round and and everyone's kind of like has you have to get in there ridiculously early so none of them actually Mm -hmm. eat but there is dinner served uh and it has this feeling of kind of going to a a banquet that like people mill about and just converse with each other rather than totally you know the this the seating like you have at the kodak for the oscars where like if someone's in the middle of a of a section like you can't even get over to them um so you know i think the part that will be definitely missed is the milling about and kind of seeing who's interacting with who right before a commercial break or who's changed seats during you know when they come back and uh all that kind of stuff is super fun to see so obviously we won't have that uh, sort of interaction so regardless of, of whether or not people are drinking um you know we're not going to see it as much which which is sad but yeah um, and um yeah you're right that that is that's one of the big things that people like to talk about on social media is who they see talking to who before and after the commercial breaks and i imagine that that is very political (laughs) i'm not it's probably there's probably like a lot of strategy going into that from publicists and stuff like now you go over there and talk to them (laughs) And and I'll say I've I've gotten the chance to to be in that room for a few years, mm-hmm. uh, and it, the energy in there it's it's incredible. Just like seeing how they, uh, because it's also it feels so much larger on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're in the room, you're like, oh, like all these tables are jam packed in there. Nobody can move. Oh, wow. um, and it really is. You can't go three steps without bumping into a major celebrity. Um, so, you know, a lot of those I think aren't, even if you wanted to orchestrate something, it kind of has to happen by accident unless like somebody, unless somebody like beelines the minute, like the, like they have to like get up and run before everyone else is standing. Cause if not, you're going about three inches. (laughs) Oh, wow. So it's really the seating is the key to the Golden Globes then. Oh yeah, definitely. Who sits with who? Exactly. Who sits with who? And that's why if somebody changes seats, it's like, oh, like how that happened and all that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, and 
that's why people love it. You know, it is the party a- award show, um, mm. which, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in a, in a virtual ceremony. But I am glad that they, one, waited in case they were going to be able to do it in person. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, we're not there. Um, but, uh, you know, that they're still doing it responsibly is great. Where they maybe weren't as responsible, uh, or maybe responsible is not the right word, but uh, where we maybe thought that they could be a little bit more thoughtful was in the, was in the nominations. Uh, and I know in yeah. the in the minutes after they were announced, you and our TV editor, Danette Chavez, got to work on your annual snubs and surprises piece on these. And I, I'd love to hear from you just kind of a quick overview, and we can get a little more specific after that, of what your thoughts were after the initial list came out. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that the Golden Globes and the HFPA, excuse me, <laughs> um, <laughs> that they that they're a bit of a joke. Um, they're a bit of a joke among, you know, critics, uh, all the different subcategories of entertainment journalists are kind of like, well, you know, the Globes. There's always one random film that never appeared on anybody's list, but gets nominated for a bunch of Golden Globes. Shout out to the Mauritanian. That's this year's <laughs> example. And I mean, they're just kind of known for being kind of boring categories that are really influenced by star power. And it you know, I don't I kind of thought maybe there'd be a little bit of a change up this year, because when you looked at a lot of critics, top 10 lists and critics associations and things like the Gotham Awards and the Independent Spirit Awards, there were some pretty exciting choices being made over this past year, you know, end of last year, beginning of this one. And the Globes are just kind of, you know, same old, same old. Uh, I it's pretty easy to get cynical about them every year. And I kind of thought this was a pretty typical year in that regard. And nothing we're saying, I think, would be surprising or really even offensive for the HFPA, if mm. any of you are listening. Um, <laughs> because, you know, historically, hosts of the show have made jokes about, uh, you know, the kind of shows and, and movies that are nominated for Globes. And yeah. there's always the joke that, like, oh, how much money did people spend? You know, the the HFPA, because it's a small number of people, you can do certain things to wow them. And if you're in the LA area heading up to the nomination period for the Globes, there are many cocktail parties and, and, you know, HFPA members walk away from those with, like, really fancy watches Mm -hmm. and, you know, all these other perks that, like, make them remember a project. Um, For better or worse, those can influence people. And so you do have that come into play, particularly because it's such a small group of of people. You know, it's it's a little bit like how we used to choose our presidential candidates. It's really just a bunch of people in a back room and and some shady stuff can happen. Uh, It's easier for people to be swayed by stuff when you don't have a larger voting body. And I agree, you know, they go for star power. They also go because they're international press. And even though some of them are based in L.A. and and work out of L.A., you know, what they're covering is stuff that their home countries would be most interested in, which perhaps is going to be the bigger star stuff and and maybe not the That's like true. more nuanced and American stories. Like they're, you know, so so the types of stories they're looking to celebrate are, are maybe not the same. And so the, 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 the criteria there is also just a little different if you look at it through there. But we... We did have some some disappointments, uh, but also some victories in terms of yeah. representation and and all that kind of stuff that we l- hope to see in these nominations. Uh, but I, I I really think there were some that were really missed. Uh, you know, I think Delroy Lindo 
for Defy Bloods, which, mm-hmm. you know, I think he's been a front runner left and right. And so for his name not to be there, um, for Lakeith Stanfield or Kingsley Benadire, mm-hmm. like there's, there's a lot of a- actors of color that I think we would have loved to have seen there. Do you agree? Oh, totally. Those three were all, uh, our TV editor, Danette Chavez, and I posted a piece, like you said, uh, was immediately after the was announced. And all three of those appeared on my list. But I also agree with you that this wasn't, I think that sometimes the Globes can surprise you in the sense of who they nominate, who wins. Often the cynical, like if you're betting on the Globes, the cynical choice is probably the safe one. <laughs> but there are, but they will nominate some really interesting people sometimes. And there were some, some pretty good nominations, I think, this year. What were some of your ones that you were pleasantly surprised by in that way? Well, maybe not even pleasantly surprised, but I'm really happy to see Riz Ahmed uh, continuing to be a frontrunner for Sound of Metal. You know, you were talking about the type of films that the Globes tend to go for. Sound of Metal really isn't one of those films. Like, it is an American indie kind of smaller, quiet movie about a heavy metal drummer. You know, it's not necessarily, it's a very, like, specific point of view i guess it's not a very broadly doesn't have a huge broad appeal and so i'm really happy to see that performance continuing to get a lot of attention and um in the actress categories this one this one was a little less surprising a little more expected but francis mcdormand and carrie mulligan uh viola davis is emerging as a front runner too uh as of last week for her role in uh, ma rainey's black bottom all three of those are kind of emerging as you know strong contenders in the best actress category and that's all great for me and another you want to talk about surprising nominations this is one that had kind of been tipped but i wasn't sure about if it was actually going to happen which is maria bakalova getting nominated for borat subsequent movie film i wasn't sure if that was actually going to happen yeah, I mean, well-deserved. We've spoken about that a lot on the AVclub.com, mm-hmm. uh, so we don't have to go in major deep. But, like, the, the work she did was incredible, and really, to hold your own against Sasha Baron Cohen in mm-hmm. a vehicle that was designed for Sasha Baron Cohen by Sasha Baron Cohen... And take um, the is, kind of risks that Sasha Baron Cohen does, you know? Yes, and to, and to do that with him there, you know, in, in his presence, you know, I think it almost would have been easier for her to kind of go out and do something like that maybe on her own, but to do that with him there mm-hmm. it's just incredible and it also shows like how supportive he's been of of her success through this whole entire thing which has been totally. great to see but uh where the globes maybe left some people out a lot of the a lot of the shows and films that we thought were left off of the globes the sag made up for that so of course mm-hmm. sag is the screen actors guild and so here we're looking at a completely different beast the screen actors guild is a massive guild uh same as the writers guilds or directors guilds or you know many of the other unions that exist in in other facets of uh, american industry uh it now has one less member in donald j trump uh which they are fine <laughs> with um we don't talk exactly about anymore. <laughs> exactly uh but you know it's it's a massive voting body and mm-hmm. they highlight even though they highlight a film they highlight it through the lens of ensemble cast so while there may be films Absolutely. that that the guilds loved and thought deserved recognition and maybe deserve a best picture oscar nomination maybe isn't going to make the sag list because they're recognizing the acting work in it so if for some reason it was a technical feat or uh for whatever reason the acting maybe wasn't the most 
forefront of the reasons that it should be up for big awards, you're not going to see that as much with the SAG Awards. But they, right. um, it, you know, it is it is actors voting for acting awards. And so you do get a lot of people that recognize the work that goes into a project that a lot of the other award shows don't recognize. And we see we see some of the people that got left off of the Globes, like Stephen Yeun from mm-hmm. the, the Walking Dead, who was just in, incredible in Minari. Yes. Um, and he's he's recognized here, and we have a few others. What were your thoughts the day after the Globes seeing what was nominated for SAG? Um, well, I will say, uh, real quick, there was a New York Times profile of Stephen Yoon last week that was really good, that is really worth reading, that delves into a lot of stuff about, uh, in his work, the kind of projects he chooses. He kind of chooses to look at a lot of different aspects of, like, his identity as, like, a Korean-American, as, like, a, you know, first-generation and uh, he makes a lot of really interesting choices, and he talks about those choices a lot in the interview, so I would recommend that. But anyway, um, we talked about Don't Worry Lindo getting snubbed at the Globes. Uh, the Five Bloods was one of the films that got that. Yeah, the SAG's top award is an ensemble award, but they didn't nominate him for Best Supporting Actor, which I thought was kind of weird. Like, they singled out the cast as a whole, but not Don't Worry Lindo specifically. Um, and the, uh, I mean, the other, like the most surprising thing, I'm not gonna lie to you, the most surprising thing about the SAGs to me is that they nominated Amy Adams <laughs> and Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, which I'm sorry. That was just a lot of, I, the way I described Fair. that movie was as a 30 Rock parody of a, of a Oscar film. And so, like, it was kind of surprising to me that actors were recognizing <laughs> those performances because, I and a lot of other critics didn't think they were very good. So well, and, and and you know, I think we could spend a whole episode talking about Hillbilly Elegy. I, I, I think a lot of I think a lot of the uh, rightful criticism of that film also comes from looking at the film as a a vehicle for representation. Oh, sure. Uh, and 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 I think there's a lot of weight um, rightfully given to that in the criticism of the film. And so I, I do wonder if if some of these actors in the guilds were either intentionally or unintentionally disconnected from that in a way that let them appreciate the film in a different way. Mm. Um, mm. So I, I do think that that could have come into play here. And I agree with you about Delroy Lindo not getting a supporting actor nomination. And of course, Chadwick Boseman, you know, the, the world is still yes. reeling from his loss. Yes. Uh, but we see him nominated here for Defy Bloods, which... Obviously, you know, that could have his his untimely death could have been a factor here. But at the same time, like it is interesting that that is the one individual that they choose to to highlight out of that entire cast. Totally. Um, But like he was good in that film. You know, everyone was good in that film. It's why it's on that list. And he's also nominated for his role in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. So leading role for Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and then supporting role for to five bloods for Chadwick Boseman. So two SAG nominations for him. The thing is like, even no matter what, I think when there's a beloved figure who passes so suddenly and shockingly as Chadwick Boseman, that you're going to see some, some nominations for them just sort of in tribute. But also I think he did really great work in both those films. So I think he would have oh, been getting nominated. Well 
He would have been getting nominated for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom regardless, I think. But I think there is also a little bit of that uh, that tribute thing. Sometimes Hollywood likes to give beloved figures a send off in this way. Yes. And and I, I think you're right. I think that he definitely would have been at least a contender for a nomination, mm-hmm. um, regardless of what was going on with him. But yeah, I, I just I am surprised, like you said, that they, the whole cast got nominated as outstanding performance by a cast in a motion picture mm-hmm. um, and yet only one nomination in the individual categories. Yeah. Uh, which is which is which is interesting, but we see some of the regular players here. You know, I know we will be diving into specific categories in the coming weeks ahead mm-hmm. of the ceremony, so we don't have to go too deep in there. But one thing I will acknowledge is, speaking for Danette and our TV coverage here, they also got some stuff of right that we felt very strongly about when we saw the Golden Globe nominations come out, particularly that I May Destroy You uh, and Michaela yeah. Cole not getting any attention yeah, um, at TV the Globes. was the more controversial of the Golden Globes branches this year, I think, more so than film even. Yes, yes. So those are those are themes that we will be diving into in future episodes of Push the Envelope, as well as having Katie back to give her thoughts on very specific categories about mm-hmm. the Globes heading into those. But Katie, I want to thank you for, for being here for now to kind of giving us a big picture overview of these two big nomination announcements. Yeah, totally. And um, just on the way out, when you look at the leading actor and leading actress categories, the SAG and the Globes share four out of five with a, a wild card for each. <laughs> So, yeah, you're definitely, like you were saying, we're really getting into the heat of it now. And I think that the front runners are really starting to emerge. When we will get into those front runners in the coming weeks, I appreciate your insight, Katie, as always, and look forward to having you back in just a, a couple of weeks. But those of you listening to Push the Envelope, please do not go anywhere because this episode is far from over. This week, we're giving you a double dose of interviews with nominated stars. We're going to start with a nominee that was recognized by both the HFPA and the Screen Actors Guild, Daniel Kalua, who gives us this incredible performance in the biopic Judas and the Messiah. Daniel stars as Fred Hampton, who served as the chairman of the Black Panther Party in the late 1960s. The film was directed by Shaka King and also stars Jesse Plemons, Dominique Fishbeck, Ashton Sanders, Daryl Britt Gibson, Lil Rel Howery, uh, Algie Smith, and Martin Sheen. In preparation for the film, Daniel and his co-star Dominique, who plays Fred Hampton's girlfriend, had this, uh, in Daniel's words, intense sit-down with Fred Hampton's mother ahead of the filming. Uh, our very own Mar Eakin got the chance to chat with Daniel about that eight-hour conversation, and we're going to take a listen to Daniel's answer about that, as well as a few of Mara's follow-up questions. The meeting was very intense. It was an eight-hour meeting. <laughs> it was at the family home, Chairman Fred's home. Uh, it was just really, they just asked us questions that really dove into our soul. I mean, it's like, what are your intentions for the film? What are your intentions of making art? What are your intentions of, how did you arrive here? What do you care about? What are you passionate? I mean, it's like, and then, and then um, and yeah, it was a, it was enlightening to myself on myself and also for the collaborators. Like I found out things about Shaka, Ryan and Charles that I didn't know and Dominic, I didn't know. And that was always really rewarding. That was really rewarding. And then we went on an excursion, (laughs) like he took us to a certain area in Chicago. And then, um, and then, yeah, I thought, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, because I think he watched it last night. So I don't think we didn't get to catch up, but I will speak to Chairman Fred Jr. and see how, 
him and the family are feeling about him. He must have such a weird experience because he has such a famous name, but never met his dad and is continuing his legacy in such a, such a heavy way. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big responsibility, but he's built for it. So an eight hour meeting is a long meeting, but I imagine it's, it almost sounds like a intensive, like therapy day. Do you know what I mean? Like, it sounds really like you put a lot of yourself out there in a, in a good way. Yeah, it's very vulnerable to put yourself out there. But at the end of the day, this is his, like, this is his family. So he's just like saying, who are you? What do you count for? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, rightly so. It's that kind of like, if someone wants to pay your mother or someone wants to pay your father, you can be like, who are you? But like, are you going to portray, you know, it's like, and so it's something that I kind of, I re- completely understood why he was asking. So, and I, I want to build that bridge and connect with them, with myself and say, yo, this is what I'm about. This is what I stand for. This is, you know, this is what I stand on. Something that I thought was especially inspiring and poignant in the film, among a million other things, is sort of the messages of like economic justice. And especially with so many people, especially right now, really struggling. How are you sort of inspired by, by that, by what the Panthers did there? I'm inspired by it because they they um because of the amount of love they poured into it. It's that kind of it's just care and love for their own community, you know. And with that love, they carved really actionable strategies that would only spread, you know, and would only help their own and empower their own in order to be free and clear and so that they can be more of themselves, so they can actualize themselves for themselves, from themselves. And so that was deeply inspiring the simplicity of their strategy. You know, it was about feeding kids. It was about educating kids. It was about healing the sick, you know, and it was about paying for legal aid, sending buses to prisons. It was helping them and giving them things that that they were supposed to have, you know, it's like, and then when they get what they're supposed to have, then they can just be more themselves and be clearer. And I felt that that was, um, and they, and they really did focus on the local local community and then when they achieved that they branched out if you haven't checked out judas and the messiah yet it is available now streaming on hbo max next up we turn to rosamund pike who just scored a golden globe nomination for her work in the black comedy thriller i care a lot rosamund stars in the film as marla a woman who makes her living stealing from the elderly by deceiving judges into appointing her as their legal guardian if you uh watched whose recent new york times documentary on britney spears you may be a little familiar with that concept um the film also stars Peter Dinklage, Chris Messina, Diane Weist, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., and Isa Gonzalez. It premiered to rave reviews at the Toronto Film Festival, which was held virtually in September, and now it will finally hit Netflix in the United States on February 19th. Elsewhere in the world, if you're listening to this, uh, you may look for it on Amazon Prime instead. Mara recently spoke with Rosamond about working on the film, and here's a little bit of that conversation. say you know there's something that struck me about this movie is how our willingness especially when it comes to care to believe like sort of like a smiling well put together rich looking white lady and marla sort of really seizes on those stereotypes and uses them to her advantage how did you sort of process that or use that as an actor well i i'm always drawn to characters who who play with the the qualities that we find safe exactly as you say you know the qualities that we want to trust you know it was the same with um 
you know, Amy Dunn, I mean, who, 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 who in a Gone Girl, who brilliantly manipulated the idea of the victim, you know, and played the victim and performed the victim and made everyone believe she was the victim until you realized she was actually running the whole story. And Marla Grayson, you know, she, she is able to perform, you know, upstanding pillar of the community, trustworthiness, you know, caregiver, um, concerned party, um, honest, honest, uh, you know, sort of beacon of truth. And she, she, she's able to perform all those things brilliantly in the court. And I think, you know, her arguments are very subtle and profound when she says, you know, you can't care for someone by doing what they want. You have to care for them by doing what they need. You know, you think, oh, yeah. And then you realize that it's all a sham. Yes, of course. You know, and I think when she goes to Jennifer Peterson's house, when she has her hustle, it's so smooth. Of course, she's trading on all those things. She knows she can look totally approachable, totally unthreatening. And in fact, she's the most threatening person out there. It's, it's a very, it's an interesting space for me to play in. I, I, I enjoy the performative aspect of these nefarious characters, what they're doing, how they're manipulating. And I do enjoy it. The movie's also really scary, and uh, not just because there are guns and monsters and, and danger and, you know, whatever, but, all, but because, like, it's, it's scary to think how easy it is to take advantage of this, like, very vulnerable population. Um, what did you learn sort of about elder abuse, I guess, while making this movie? I didn't learn anything while making the movie. I mean, as soon as I read the script the first time, I went online and went down a sort of dark dive into the truth of this uh, subject matter. And it's, you know, it, it, it does happen. It is possible. The system is set up for the people to be taken advantage of. You know, this has only come more to light during the pandemic when we've realized what big business healthcare is. But, but while I was making it, that was not my concern. You know, Marla, in a way, you know, as you said at the beginning, you know, she trades on the female stereotype of caregiver and runs with it and like makes business out of it. So fine, you think women should care? I'm going to show you what caring is. It's going to be multi-million dollar business. Um, and, um, you know, I was you know, almost having to depersonalize everybody, you know, depersonalize the whole thing in, in order to get inside Marla's head. So it was a very different, you can't be I, I knew that the whole movie would raise awareness of the issue, but I knew that J.R. Writer had rightly thought that if he if he made a movie about this and told it from the point of view of the victim, it would be so harrowing and, and uh, uh, sort of unwatchable that he's given us license to absorb this phenomenon, but in a way that we can enjoy it as a sort of uncomfortable pleasure. And he's even made it that the victim, you know, in this case, Jennifer Peterson, played by Diane Wiest, is is not, you know, your typical victim either. She has qualities um, that, you know, may mean that she's not your typical victim, and she's, you know, you you don't you don't have to have all sympathy for her either. I mean, in that vein, I loved sort of that we never really found out why Marla, like how she got into this or how she became this person. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we maybe got a little bit of a glimpse when she was like, I don't care about my mom. She's a sociopath or whatever. But like beyond that, we didn't get the Marla Grayson sort of origin story. And I think that helps make her too not this, this like sympathetic character to some effect. I mean, she is sympathetic, but like, I, I think my, my opinion is that if if I if we tried to do that or Jay had written that in, it would have derailed the whole 
idea of the movie. I think I think a lot of these characters that are fun to watch and you're kind of, you know, guiltily involved in enjoying their dastardly ways, if they then try and ask you to care about them, you sort of lose it. You get all into sort of trouble because the whole idea of a film like this is that you don't have to care, <laughs> you know, ironically. And Marla's not asking for your sympathy. She's not asking for that at all. She might be, I think, I think the best I could hope for, I thought, with playing Marla is that I think people will admire the kind of ingenuity of her hustle. I think they'll admire her courage in places. Will they like her? No, but they might find her fun. <laughs> in some sense, we end up caring about Peter Dinklage's character almost more because we're like, he needs his mom, you know, like that's his mommy's mom. boy. He's got her macaroons. He's got those nice macaroons waiting for her. You know, I know he actually took the time to leave the car to go into the store. You know, he's not just hiding out. I know. You see, you see, as soon as a man does something nice, it's considered a sort of bonus. It gets him so many brownie points as soon as he does something nice. But if a woman doesn't have niceness, it just depletes her store of goodwill so massively. But a guy just needs a tiny glimpse of niceness. And we think, oh, he's so nice. Um, speaking of uh, one sort of thing that can turn, I loved Marla's vape. Uh, mm-hmm. the vape. Like, how did you sort of imagine that as an extension of her character? Well, it kind of gave me some, like, firepower. You know, it gave me some, like, dragon-like smoke puffs to hide behind. And, you know, it's, I think, anything that allows you to sort of pause for effect. And it can be, it's an irritant to the person you're talking to. I think that's another use of it as a weapon. She's got two weapons. She's got her vape and she's got her smile. I think she uses them both to quite good effect. It can give the illusion of being very relaxed, too, very comfortable. It's a bit different from smoking, which can often seem like a nervous tick. And vaping has a sort of slow, steady, it can more be used to unnerve the other person, I think. So it was a very interesting thing to do. (laughs) Get involved with, you know, get involved in the whole kind of coil story and, you know, all the different tricks that people can do and the flavours. And I enjoyed it. I used to live by a guy that had like a van outside his house in LA and he was a vape artist. Like he'd come to your oh, party right. and do like vape tricks and stuff like that. It's a whole world. I should have got, I should have, I should have got some tricks. I didn't, I didn't ever sort of perfect like, you know, blowing a smoke ring through another or yeah. I mean, people get these, you know, cloud dragons and stuff. I know, mm-hmm. I know it is a whole thing. I could have taken a deeper dive. <laughs> Um, last question. Did this movie make you like consider your sort of like, I need to tighten up my will. Here's what I want when I go. Like, did you think about any of that stuff? No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. No, I think, I think, I think it, it would, you know, reading it, I think for Diane Weist, you know, I don't want to speak for her, but I've heard her speak about it. I mean, she said, you know, she read this script and was horrified. She thought, you know, this could happen to me. You know, this is this is a real thing, and this could. And I think it is. You know, I think people will have a different response to it based on their age and stage in life. And I think also depending on what they're thinking, I think some people will see it and just be sort of deliciously captivated and find it very funny. I think people will definitely see it as the dark comedy we intend, and some people obviously won't. Some people will be really disturbed by it. I think. Well, that's okay. That's what makes a good movie when it's all of those things. Um, Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to go check out some paper. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>
that's going to do it for this week's episode of Push the Envelope. But we will be back next week when we'll be getting into the individual Golden Globes categories on the TV side of things. As always, please remember to like, comment, and subscribe. If you're only going to do one of those things, comment, please. Wherever you listen to your podcasts, let us know who you'd like to see win a Golden Globe, which guests you'd like to see on future episodes of the podcast. It really does make a huge difference, or so at least the powers that be tell me. So that is our shameless plug for this week. That's going to do it for this episode. You can find me on social media at Patrick Gomez LA. Please let us know uh, if you're a fan. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, But until next week, bye. This episode of the AV Club's Push the Envelope was brought to you by producer Michaela Heck and sound engineer Ryan Allen.